Q&A number one, answering all your running injury questions. Welcome to the Run Smarter podcast, the podcast helping you overcome your current and future running injuries by educating and transforming you into a healthier, stronger, and smarter runner. My name is Brody Sharp. I am the guy to reach out to when you've finally decided enough is enough with your persistent running injuries. I'm a physiotherapist, the owner of the Breakthrough Running Clinic, and your podcast host. I'm excited to bring you today's lesson and to add to your ever-growing running knowledge. Let's work together to overcome your running injuries, getting you to that starting line and finishing strong. So let's take it away. A lot has happened in the past few weeks. The first one being that the podcast continues to grow. I'm hitting records for like the most amount of downloads per episode and the most downloads in 24 hours. And it's given me a lot of passion. It's been incredible just seeing the podcast grow as well as hearing your feedback. I'm getting a lot of people on Facebook groups and contacting me on social media just saying, hey, listen to this episode and absolutely loved it. I have been trying to broaden away from just physio episodes. So you might see um, Jeff Cragen and a couple of those episodes, which are a little bit out there, but people resonate and the feedback has been really good with those sort of episodes. The second thing that's happened is that the online course uh, has been launched and has gone through uh, a new structure in the past week, just responding to people's feedback and what was originally a one-month course of you know, 15, 16 hours has now been uh, shifted a little bit. So we now have a free version, a free preview, which is about an hour and a half content. And you just sign up, no need to fill out any card details or anything like that, and just get a little sneak peek of what the course actually entails. I also have a $40 version, which is around about five hours of content and has uh, one month of access. And then the what was originally the full course for one month has now been extended to three months. And those who have signed up uh, um, have messaged back and said that they think that it might be a bit of a struggle to get through all the content in one month. And so I said, fair enough, it is a lot. Um, let's extend it to three months. So I've kept that for now. And so hopefully everyone's happy and there's a module and a course structure for everyone that's involved. So if you are interested, this is like video format, audio format, pictures, um, tables, all this sort of stuff. We go through um, a deep dive. It's essentially the podcast on steroids. We go through strength and conditioning. We go through injury prevention principles. We go through injury specific topics and uh, just covers a lot, a lot of research and uh, some good practical tips for you to run smarter. So that's the second thing that's happened in the last couple of weeks. The third thing, uh, which is mainly going to be around this episode, is that I have started a podcast Patreon page. I was, I'll admit, I was a bit nervous and a bit scared to start a Patreon account. Uh, I did think about doing it uh, previously on my first podcast, The Everyday Running Legends, um, but I think I was too nervous to start asking people for money and for support. Um, but I decided to reach out to a few individuals who I know listen to the podcast and say, hey, um, what do you think of this idea? And I was actually quite surprised by the support and the uh, 
how good of an idea it sounded to people and the amount of interest that was shown. And so I decided to go ahead and start with that. Um, so thanks to those who gave me the confidence to, to launch it. What a Patreon page is, um, first and foremost, it is for individuals who recognize that uh, podcasts, they do take a fair bit of time. Um, it's hard to to actually produce, to take the time out, and it does cost a bit of money to produce a podcast. And so first and foremost, it's for people who um, want to support the podcast and they understand the work that goes into it and appreciate, if you can, appreciate the caliber of this podcast and the information that is delivered. And if the podcast has helped you in one way or another, it'd be great if you can show your support by signing up to the Patreon page. And it's um, a $5 per month subscription fee. It's like the cheapest I could come up with. It is uh, in US dollars for all those Aussies out there. Um, Patreon only gives me the option of US dollars, euros, or pounds, which is quite silly, but I did choose the US dollars, but um, it's only probably uh, two and a half more dollars, so $7.50 per month uh, if you look at the exchange rate, uh, which I think uh, is still fair, I'd say, based on the the value you receive in a second, which I'll go through. Um, There has been a small handful of people that have signed up already, and um, if you find, if it interests you, and I'll go through the value in a second, um, be greatly appreciated if you can jump on board. So I do want to deliver as much value as I can. A lot of um, podcasts who offer their support, they do uh, add levels of benefit, but I thought I'd keep it as cheap as I can and try and de- uh, deliver as much value as I can. So the idea that I came up with is that uh, every two weeks or so, I'll produce an episode like this, which will be a Q&A episode. And you, as a Patreon, you have the opportunity to submit questions on a specific topic and have them answered on the podcast during these certain episodes. And I'm not too sure which uh, topics will be in the future, but I thought I'd start with a generic one today, being any injury question that you do have, uh, pretty much because we do have a small handful of people and everyone has running injury questions. So um, thought that would be a good one to start off with. And I probably should mention as well that this benefit of asking questions on the podcast also is for those who have signed up for the online course. So you don't need to sign up for a Patreon account if you're a current member of of the course, because I'll be asking you questions as well. As an added benefit as well, you also have priority when asking questions to certain guests on the podcast, if you're a, um, a member or a Patreon. So if you, if I am overwhelmed with questions for a certain guest, so if I ask, uh, if I have a, a good guest on, I ask all the Patreon people and all the um, online course people, and I get a lot of influx of questions back at me, I'll try my best to combine questions and have them all answered. It is a. It will be a first come, first served to get answered on the podcast. If all the questions, if not all the questions can be answered, so if I do need to be respectful of the time of the guest who is on, if we can't get to all those questions, I will carry over those questions into the next Q&A episode and have them answered by me. And so your all your questions will be answered. Um, it just, just 
depending on which format or which direction we take it, but you will get your questions answered. Um, so that's the added benefit. So you've got the questions answered on the Q&A episodes, but also priority questions for guests that are on the podcast in the future. And while I wanted to add value to the Patreons, I didn't want to take away any value from those who want to continue listening to the podcast for free. Podcasts are a free service. I know I listen to tons and tons of episodes and tons and tons of podcasts myself, um, and I don't feel expected to support all of them. So um, if you still wanted to continue listening to the podcast for free, I'm not taking anything away from you. I'll still be asking uh, questions on social media to current guests that are on, not for the Q&A episodes, but for the guests um, that will be going out on social media and it just won't be highly prioritized. And if there is a massive influx of questions, then unfortunately they won't be answered. But you also get to listen to these Q&A episodes. So this is just adding more value for you. And usually um, if a person asks a question, it usually means that a lot of people have the same question and they're thinking the same thing um, and have the same thing on their mind. So I know in the past that I learn quite a lot from Q&A episodes as well. And there might be a question that I hadn't thought about, but the answer helps me learn a lot. So with all that said and done, we're going to go into the Q&As, answering all your injury questions. Let's start with Erin. So Erin was the first one who submitted a question and... I did ask for one question and she did combine a couple of questions into one, which I'll let it slide for now because there's so few of you. Um, but she asks what to look for in a physical therapist or a physio physiotherapist. She continues, it's hard to find someone who knows how to deal with running injuries specifically. Also, how to determine if the PT exercises are working and when to pull back or progress to more load. Um, so yeah, a couple of questions combined into there. I thought I would start with, um, so I've got a few dot points, what to look for in a physiotherapist or a physical therapist and to how to know if you've made the right decision with choosing. I really like this question and I thought I the first uh, statement or the first dot point I wrote down was, are they a runner themselves? And there's a huge difference between the physios that are runners and understand what it's like to be a runner and understand what it's like to be an injured runner and those who um, don't like running or those who um, have never ran before and don't understand the um, scenario that you're going through. And why I say this is um, the running physios will usually tend to keep runners running and the physios or physical therapists that are just um, that haven't run before dislike running will quickly pull you back from running and have you rest for a couple of weeks and uh, just don't analyze the importance of you continuing to run so that's just a very generic statement but I know a lot of doctors and um, other health professionals that don't like running they'll quickly say why are you running for let's stop running you know your knees aren't designed for running, um, your body specifically, your posture, you're going to get injured every time you run, say statements like that, which is uh, less than encouraging and hinders your uh, recovery 
just based on the attitude that they have, the language they use and that kind of stuff. Um, and also just having a, a physio that is a runner, they just have a deeper insight into analyzing running. They have a deeper passion for it. And uh, that definitely resonates when coming up with treatments and coming up with management plans, things like that. So that would be the first dot point. Just quickly chiming in here to let you scholars know, I have just updated my five-day injury prevention challenge. This is one email per day for five days, learning new concepts and diving into the science on how you can reduce your risk of injury. The sign-up link is in the show notes, so fill in your details and I'll be waiting for you in email number one tomorrow. The second one I wrote down is, are they only doing hands-on passive treatments? So once you've seen a physio, are they only doing massage? Are they only doing dry needling? Are they only doing like uh, manipulations or adjustments, that kind of thing? And that's a that's another red flag that you probably should find a different physio or at least ask them if you are going to implement some longer term strategies in the future. And why I say this is because when it comes to recovery, we want to still implement those passive treatments in the short term just to perhaps calm down symptoms momentarily, but we want to slowly start tweaking towards longer term treatments. And so longer term treatments comes in forms of strengthening or posture advice or running technique or just um, advice with your running programs, uh, that kind of stuff. And so what a generic treatment plan might look like is for the first two or three sessions, they're more heavily reliant on the dry needling, massage, that sort of stuff, and maybe 10 to 15% on the exercises. But as the treatments go on to your second, third, fourth, we're flipping that equation so that the passive treatment, the massage, the dry needling is less and less, and that strengthening, the education, the management, the longer term management is enhanced more and more and more. And Sometimes that's all you need. Sometimes, depending on the scenario, you might only need those longer-term strategies, those exercises, and um, massage might not even be necessary. But people do get into a trap with certain health professionals of getting a massage, okay, come back when you are, um, if you still need it, or let's book you in twice for the ne- twice a week for the next six weeks, and they only do massage. Um it's not serving you, it's not empowering you, and it's not educating you. So that's a um, another red flag. The third one I wrote down is uh, similar to what I was just talking about. Are they building a long-term plan for you? And if they just do some quick treatments and say, come back if you start getting more symptoms, uh, that's another uh, alarm bell that might go off. What we want to do is work with you to get you back to running, back to feeling confident, back to thriving with your running instead of just if symptoms are a little bit better, okay, come back if symptoms come back. That's going to set you up for another flare up and we don't want these we don't want your injury or your symptoms uh going through this boom and bust and fluctuating through symptoms. We want to make sure they're relatively controlled, but we have this longer term management plan in play to uh continue allowing for thriving in running. And if there are a few minor hiccups, a few minor flare-ups, you have these contingency plans in place so that you know what to do and you continue striving forward uh, with these course corrections. Number four, uh, do they investigate your running history or your run- or they do a running assessment? And so 
back to the first one, if you have a physio that is a runner, they'll most likely delve deeper into your running history to investigate why you got injured in the first place. And um, as we know, with most running injuries, it's due to training errors. So really having a deep dive into your history, your general health, your um, injury history, all that kind of stuff just has a better, paints a better picture and can help your management moving forward. And if they are curious about how you're running and what your cadence is or what your technique is like, uh, that's just a very good sign that they're they're on top of things and they're interested in your running and they want to get you back. Um, On the opposite side, you might get a physio that just uh, isn't too interested in the running side of things and just interested on the symptoms side of things. So they might if you have a hamstring injury, just massage the hamstring and let you go and not investigating further. So it's another thing to look out for. The last one I have written down is, um, are you walking out of your sessions with clarity? Are you um, asking all those, are you asking any of those burning questions? Are they answering it in a clear and concise way? Do you understand everything that was said instead of using all this jargon? And if they do use jargon accidentally, ask for clarification. And do you have all your questions addressed? Because a lot of uh, doctors and a lot of physios can sometimes get caught up with talking too much jargon or um, redirecting your question so that your question isn't answered and you still go away feeling a little bit puzzled. So a good physiotherapist or a good physical therapist does well at explaining your current situation, your injury, and how to get back and how to best manage that. So most, uh, I think most people can understand the feeling of feeling heard and having clarity and going away with a plan as opposed to feeling a bit puzzled and what was that going on? Why did I have that treatment done? What were the benefits of that? Um, It doesn't really make sense to me. So make sure that you're ticking all the boxes there. And if you are, I think you've got a, a pretty good physical therapist on your team. Um, and it is tough to find. It's tough to find a good health professional that is on your team. And then when you find them, you don't want to let them go. <laughs> so I hope that has provided a lot of um, clarity for you, Erin. We'll continue. Um, how to determine if your physio exercises are working and when to pull back or progress to more load. And how many dot points do I have written down here? I've got four. So I don't like to answer these questions with it depends, but when it comes to how to know if your exercises are working, it definitely depends. First of all, it depends on the type of injury. So you could have a stress fracture, you could have a um, muscle tear, you could have a chronic tendinopathy. Every type of injury is going to respond differently. And we also need to consider the history of the injury. We could consider if you've had uh, several flare-ups in the past, has it been going on for several months or a year, or has it been going on for a couple of weeks? Is it irritable if you do one exercise and you flared up for three days or if you, um, or if it responds quite nicely? And of course, we need to know if it's working. Um, to understand if it's working, we also need to do all the right things outside of treatment sessions. And an example of that is you could have a really good management, let's just say for um, uh, high hamstring tendinopathy. We could have the best management plan in place, but if you 
go to watch sport and you sit on a hard chair for a couple of hours and that flares things up, then you could instantly think, oh, my exercises aren't working. I'm not getting better. I'm getting these flare-ups. It's not working. But we really haven't addressed outside components, things that you're doing outside of your physio treatment that might be flaring up symptoms. And so considering that, I know... Like I said, I don't like to answer questions with it depends. So I've got a couple of generic answers for you. So what I would say is that you should start seeing improvements week over week unless your physio has laid down different expectations from the start. For example, if you do have a stress fracture, you won't see improvements for the first like four or six weeks because you're going to be non-weight bearing and not really be making much gains. Um, the other thing I think of is probably like nerve mobility or like really chronic and severe tendons. They just take time and they might fluctuate. Uh, symptoms might fluctuate from day to day and maybe from week to week. But if you take a longer snapshot over two or three weeks, you should start seeing a gradual improvement. I know if someone, if I give like a nerve mobility exercise to someone, I say to them, okay, we need to do this quite frequently, but you won't notice improvements until maybe two or three weeks if you keep up with the exercises consistently. So as long as those expectations are laid down from the get-go, um, but very generically speaking, you should start seeing some improvement week over week, whether that be 10%, whether that be 20%, whether that be 30%. And if you do notice 20% better over week one, then just continue with that treatment, continue progressing as your physio has allowed. And it should get from 20% to 40% to 60%. Continue following that. Uh, if your symptoms start to plateau, so let's just say you start getting 30% better and then week two, three, four, you're still at 30% or maybe at 40% and slowly um, you're making really, really slow improvements. Uh, That's probably worth raising to your physio and possibly discussing changes in your management or seeking a second opinion or a differential diagnosis and um, just help the physio at that way. Whether to pull back or progress your exercises, it's all about the an educated trial and error and interpreting your response or your symptoms and so that's where a really good physio can come into it if you have a uh, tendinopathy and it let's just say it's really chronic if you start progressing your exercises and your symptoms stay the same that's actually a good sign so if you've got a two out of ten hamstring pain um, throughout the day or by the end of the day and we continue to progress your exercises so we give you tougher exercises maybe some speed work and it still stays a two out of ten then that's actually a really really good sign that that tendon is responding well to that exercise uh, when to pull back that's when we need to interpret if we do an exercise and it flares up and it flares up for a couple of days um, or it's flared up a couple of hours after doing that exercise We might want to interpret that as the tendon uh, not coping with that load. And then we might need to modify the exercise. We might need to modify your technique or the weight or the reps or the speed um, in order to find that sweet spot because every exercise, will there'll be too little, there'll be too much, and they'll find that sweet spot. And your physio will work really well with you to try and find that sweet spot, but continue following that sweet spot because if you... Uh, continue with an exercise for a couple of weeks, that sweet spot changes and might uh, 
allow you to progress your exercises in order to stay in that sweet spot. So hopefully that makes sense. Uh, it doesn't necessarily mean that it needs to be pain-free the entire time, um, which is why a physio or really well-educated health professional can help interpret the symptoms for you and say, you know what, it might have flared up for 15 minutes after your exercises, but it settled down quite quickly and it was fine the next day. These are good signs. Let's continue to progress. And then just trial and error and then interpreting symptoms. So hopefully that helped, Aaron. I know that was a bit of a long one. Um, Janine wrote in and said, what impact does stretching have on minimizing running injuries? It seems that there is some evidence that stretching isn't as beneficial as previously thought. So interested to hear about your um, thoughts on impacts on uh, and impacts on injury prevention. So my hard and fast comment is that static stretching, so that stretch and hold kind of stretching, does nothing for recovery. It does nothing for injury prevention and it does nothing for running performance. So unfortunately, that's where the evidence lies at the moment. Um, I would like to suggest if it feels good, then do it. Like if you feel really good, if you stretch after a run and feel really good after, if you want to stretch before a run, you feel really good when you stretch before as opposed to not stretching, by all means do it, but we can't fool ourselves into what it's actually doing and why we're actually stretching. There is some uh, level of evidence if you're quite, if you're like a power runner, if you're like a sprinter, that you can overstretch and stretching can actually decrease performance and might increase your risk of injury. And the good example is around the calf muscle. So when you are running, you kind of want to act like a really efficient spring and a really tightly woven strong spring doesn't give, doesn't have a lot of um, flimsiness to it. And why I say that is like when you run and your foot makes contact with the ground, what the calf does is absorb a lot of that load. And then when it comes to push off and produce force, it needs to uh, take that energy that it's absorbed and release it. And so it kind of acts like a spring. And what we're doing when we're stretching especially if we're doing those static stretch and hold kind of stretches is we're freeing up a lot of that muscle length, which means it's a less efficient spring. And so uh, that could possibly lead to decreased performance and decrease or increase in injury. Um, I know like myself included, I would like when it comes to me stretching, if I wake up in the morning and I feel quite stiff and I need to go for a run in the morning, I like to stretch my hips a little bit. I like to work on hip extension. I probably do some calf stretches, but it's probably like 10 or 15 seconds for each side. Same with the hamstrings, same with the quads, maybe 10 or 15 seconds. I do like to do some dynamic warm-ups, so like some jumping on the spot, some high knees, some heel flicks, those kind of exercises those sort of stretches they're kind of that's what we call dynamic stretches they've been shown to um, be quite well to help the body prepare for running so if you wanted to do that that can be quite nice um, if you're more in the athletics kind of um, field then they do have these abc drills um, that you can probably look up or google or um, look into YouTube, all that sort of thing. Um, to prepare the body, they're quite good as well because they're dynamic. They get your heart rate up. They get the muscles uh, working in all ranges of movement. So that should be good as well. Um, 
if uh, we briefly discussed with Matt Walsh, who was on, I don't know, when is this episode getting released? It's probably like two or three episodes ago. Um, and we mentioned this a little bit and we came to the discussion that if someone does feel stiff, like if they're a runner and they're constantly feeling stiff and constantly feeling like they need to stretch, we probably need to address their training. They're probably overtraining and not emphasizing the uh, the importance of recovery. So uh, I know a lot of runners that don't do any stretching and they feel fresh, they feel uh, mobile, and they're performing really, really well. And so um, we can't inter- try not to misinterpret the feeling of tightness. A lot of times when someone stretches a muscle, and they feel that muscle feel sore when they stretch it, they interpret that as feeling really, really tight. Uh, but it's most likely going to be the muscle just overused. And so that will feel sore when it gets stretched. Um, so hopefully that helps. If you do what do what feels nice for you, do what f- makes your body feel ready for running, uh, but it doesn't do anything for recovery, doesn't do anything for injury prevention, doesn't do anything for performance, unfortunately. Uh, But that's where the evidence lies. So hopefully that's helped Janine. The last one I want to address today is Matt. So he says, hey Brody, in about two weeks, I'll be starting a 16-week training program building up for my ATK Ultra in October 17th. Oh, good luck, mate. (laughs) Um, I have a good fitness base now from regular running, but I'm keen to hear your thoughts on key areas for injury prevention with this type of build, build up to avoid overuse injuries. Cheers, Matt. Okay. Thanks, Matt. Good question. Um, It's a tough one because injuries are so complex, so we can't totally avoid overuse injuries. We can't get that injury prevention down to zero, but I'll try my best to, to fill this out for you and help you in the best way I can. So, Assuming that your 16-week training program is adequate for you, um, if you're a bit unsure of what program tips to have, I did have Jason Fitzgerald on last episode, so you can listen to that and see if um, there's any tips in there that uh, best serves you. But let's just assume that your 16-week training program is ideal and uh, I'll say tailored for you, but uh, is the right ability for you then the first one we want to do is recognize the importance of recovery. So you want to have one or two days of complete relaxation in there. So you get stronger on your recovery days, not on your workout days. So make sure you're emphasizing the importance of recovery. With that said, sleep, stress, nutrition, that's all a good side of recovery and performance. So make sure you're getting adequate sleep. Make sure you're if there are areas of stress that um, you're addressing those appropriately and make sure that you're fueling your body with the right nutrition, that's just eating healthy. I think most people can, um, most people know what a healthy diet is for them. Um, And feel free to alter your training week around these factors. So we can't always have a great night's sleep. We can't always just alleviate stress. So if you are noticing moments throughout the week where you have had poor sleep or a couple of days in a row with poor sleep, make sure that your training is um, reflecting of that. And if there is uh, an easy day in your training program that you still need to do later in the week and you haven't slept well, but you still need to run that day, make sure it's that make sure that you've replaced your tough run with your easy run if it's the next day. If you're feeling particularly stressed, um, maybe under, 
delve into why you're stressed. But um, if you are feeling particularly agitated for some particular reason, make sure that your running is easy on that day. Um, So you feel free to alter your running days if required. So you might need to bring your hard days forward. You might need to push your easy days further back and be flexible with that based on sleep stress and yeah, nutrition as well. The third tip I'd have for you is to be proactive with minor symptoms that might arise and we need to jump on the front foot and don't ignore symptoms that do arise. That's not to say to back off running or uh, rest from running. It's just to be a bit proactive and that's where maybe having a running coach or a physio by your side to help interpret certain symptoms might be useful. And so an example that I came to is I'm managing, um, well, I'm building up my running mileage at the moment. And because I'm building up my running mileage, uh, my calves are getting quite sore. Well, I'd say it's just generic DOMS, but I usually don't get DOMS in my calves. So I've recognized that and I've actually changed my shoes from these minimalist shoes that I usually run in to a bit more support supportive shoes, uh, especially for maybe my long runs or maybe one or two runs per week. So I'm not completely changing, but just one or two runs a week changing to more supportive shoes to give my calves a little bit of a break. Um, And that's just an example of me just being on the front foot and make sure that I'm recognizing symptoms and uh, getting recovered and yeah, so that's what I would say. Just be proactive with minor symptoms that do arise. As you're building up to, you know, an 80K ultra, you're going to get sore. You are going to get sore muscles here and there. If you wake up one morning and you need to do a long run and your hamstrings are pretty shot, then I'd substitute it for maybe cross-training instead um, and then just keep proactive. The fourth one I have is <clears throat> mileage. The, the mileage may be slowly increasing in your program, but we want to avoid other big changes. And so that might be things like shoes, that might be things like terrain or speed or technique or like intensity. Um, Hopefully your training program does incorporate some sort of intensity in there, but we could be slowly increasing your weekly mileage. But if you change your shoes and all of a sudden you've gone from doing a 50 mile week in different shoes, then that might lead to uh, increased risk of injury. If you're running on the flats and then all of a sudden you decide to do hills and you do that and that change is too drastic, that might increase your likelihood of injury. The same thing with speed, the same thing with technique. And I know a lot of people that have kept the same running mileage and then they get injured and they said, why am I injured? And we analyze them and we realize that they've gone from a heel strike to a forefoot strike and they haven't done that transition adequate enough. Their mileage has still stayed the same but they've had a huge spike in the requirements of the foot and ankle and calf because they've tried to make that transition um, and the transition's been too great, so doing too much too soon. So keep that in mind as well. Um, Try and get as specific as you can to whatever ultra you're preparing for, so whatever terrain that might be, whatever elevation or incline that might be. and intensity as well. So we're going to slowly try and match that as best you can uh, without any huge spikes throughout the training. The last tip that I'll have, if you haven't listened to Jason Fitzgerald, is when it comes to building up mileage and getting stronger and more resilient, he, he talks about running more, running fast, and running strong. So making sure that you are building up a really big base with slow mileage 
making sure that we're implementing some sort of fast intervals and some st- implementing some strides that can be really, really good and also running strong. So making sure that we're implementing one or two strength sessions per week uh, just to increase your resiliency and increase the amount of tools you have in your in your tool belt and just becoming an overall better runner. Hopefully that helps, Matt. Um, we're all done for today. If answered my questions, um, these might be tips that you've heard before, uh, but repetition is always good. It's how we sort of build in our, um, we sort of commit it to memory. And also it helps us as another way of self-reflecting. So we all, we might know these tips, but always self-reflect because if we don't, then we can, we might not pick up on some errors that we've made in the past, or we might uh, be misguided moving forward. And so it's always good to have these reminders. If you are interested, I will put the Patreon link into the show notes. It will mean the world to me for for more support. So if you feel like this podcast has resonated with you, if you're really loving this podcast, if you're seeing the benefits it's having in your running, I'd really appreciate your support and I'd really look forward to hearing your questions and submitting your questions. I'm more than happy to answer all of these. I love talking about this stuff. So um, yeah, hopefully the questions start climbing up and the amount of Patreon start slowly climbing up and looking forward to the next Q&A. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Running Smarter podcast. I hope you can see the impact this content will have on your future running. If you want to continue expanding your knowledge, please subscribe to the podcast and keep listening. If you want to learn quicker, jump into the Facebook group titled Become a Smarter Runner. If you want tailored education and physio rehab, you can personally work with me at breakthroughrunning.physio. Thank you so much once again. And remember, knowledge is power.